Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano has called for an official investigation into the abdication of Pope Benedict XVI. Also an investigation into what he calls frauds in the conclave and election of Jorge Bergoglio to be elected as Pope Francis. Just came out today. Big news on the feast of St. Vincent Ferrer, which is absolutely, I think, intended. It's critical to discussion. I'll explain why in just a minute. It has to do with anti-popes and the Catholic Church and salvation and all those kind of things. So we haven't heard from Archbishop Vigano. I kind of mentioned it last week when I was talking about the consecration of Russia and the Ukraine by Pope Francis and what did Archbishop Vigano think about that and he's been silent and he hasn't spoken. I think this might be the answer, might be the reply. Here is the headline from Non Veni Pacem. Breaking, Archbishop Vigano calls for the official investigation to shed light on the abdication of Ben XVI in the fraud conclave. All right, I got to get rid of this dog. I'm trying to put this. This is Daisy. Y'all seen Duke. This is Duke's sister, Daisy Cavapoodle. She won't. You got to go. You got to go play. She wants to stay in my lap, and she's crying. Are you all right? All right, say goodbye to everybody. Peace. Bye. Bye. All right, go play. Go find your brother. Sorry about that. She came in here. She just wants to hang out, be held. She's a puppy. Half Cavalier, King Charles, half Poodle. Never been a dog guy. I was always anti-dog. Then we got these dogs, and I just love these dogs. All right, Archbishop Vigano. This is big news. As you know, I have not shied away from the Benedict question. There is a position right now held by thousands of people called the Benny Plenist position, meaning Benedict, Benny, fills the seat of St. Peter. They believe that when Pope Benedict XVI issued his declaratio of his abdication, it was invalid. Why was it invalid? Well, I've had uh, the likes of Dr. Ed Maza, who has evolved his position, and maybe it's time to have Dr. Maza back on. But he and others have stated that in the declaratio of 2013, Pope Benedict XVI resigns the ministerium of St. Peter, the papacy, but not the munus. These are Latin words. Ministerium, as you can tell, means ministry. Munus, however, is a bit more complicated. It doesn't have something in English that we can latch onto or compare it to. Munus refers, of course, to the office of the papacy. So you could imagine uh, there's the ministry, which isn't always exercise, like, for example, when he's asleep, when the Pope's asleep, he's not fulfilling the papal ministry, he's sleeping at 2 a.m., right? But he still has the office. The office is given to him. It's designated by Christ. People say, am I a cat person? No, I'm allergic to cats. I've never been an animal person until we got these dogs at Christmas. Sorry to be interrupting. The Moonus is the office. When Ben XVI wrote out his Latin, in Latin, thanks be to God, it wasn't in Spanish or contemporary language, he actually wrote it out in Latin. He did not use 
the Latin term, the canonical used, learned in can, uh, used in canon law to define an ecclesiastical office, in this case, the highest office in the church. And for that reason, many people believe that his abdication in the Declaratio is invalid. He did not properly, because of his own substantial error, resign from the papacy, which would mean it would be impossible for there to be another pope because Benedict XVI is still the pope. Archbishop Vigano was calling for an official investigation to look into this topic. It's a movement that has been growing. You might associate it for the past several years with Ann Barnhart. She's been talking about it for a long time. The first time I heard it, I actually listened to Ann's long video about it. I said, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I've studied Latin in college and in grad school. I've taught high school Latin. Um, I'm by no means the best Latinist in the world, but I was, you know, at that time I thought, well, I mean, technically there are a Examples in Latin where ministerium refers to an office like a prime minister, um, the office of prime minister. So in my and obviously the papacy is a steward role. It is kind of a prime minister role. I said, well, maybe, you know, I mean, do we need to be so concerned, so strict on this? But of course, I've been living through the chaos, the confusion, the I'll say it sacrilege, the idolatry and the heresy of the current pontificate of Francis Bergoglio. And it's a nightmare. People will say, yeah, but Taylor, there's always been like bad pumps and stuff. Has there ever been a Pope who set up an idol in St. Peter's Basilica? Has there ever been a Pope who had idolatrous worship in the Vatican gardens? Has there ever been a Pope who has uttered heresy such as you can, there's nothing you can do to leave the communion of saints or the Catholic Church. Even though, and then he goes on to list apostasy, schism. Pius Twelfth said, there are three sins that put you outside the church and de facto the communion of saints. Heresy, schism, and apostasy. This is basic Catholic teaching. You can find it in the Council of Trent as well. You can find it in the fathers. You can find it in saints. Francis rejected that. He's also said things that are borderline or wrong about Our Lady. There's the famous saying he had with the midwives, where Our Lady doubts the, the angel's message at the foot of the cross. All kinds of problems. You can go online, just errors of Francis. There's all kinds of confusions, errors, and yes, heresies. Again, you might say, who are you, Taylor Marshall? I'm a dad of the webcam. I have no authority. Listen very carefully, people who, who want to try to make me say things I'm not saying. I am a dad on a webcam. I'm a layman. I can hear things that are heretical and say, that's a heresy. but I can't declare formal heresy, manifest heresy. I can't do any of those things. I'm just sitting here as if we were at a coffee shop saying, yeah, when he said that, that's heretical. And you're like, yeah, it does sound heretical. All right, let's say a prayer. We'll do the Our Father together. We'll pray the Our Father, asking God to bless us, to protect us, 
And then, oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, Dave. Yeah, she's still in here. Daisy's still here. She just wants to chill. Joy's getting here. You can hear Joy go, fine, come on. I don't know why. Usually Duke and I, that's the other dog. We're the bros. We hang out all the time. But day, today, Daisy's just like, I want to hang out with you. I don't know. All right, we're going to say the Our Father, and then uh, we'll get into it. Nomini Patris, et Fidii, et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Patrum Noster, qui es in Celi, Sanctificetur Nomen Tuum, Adveniat Regnum Tuum, Fiat Voluntas Tua, Sicut in Cielo et in Terra. Panum Nostrum, Quotidianum de Nobis Odie, et Emite Nobis Debita Nostra, Sicut et Nos Dimitimus Debitoribus Nostris, et Nenos in Ducas in Tentationem, sed Libera Nos Malo. Amen. Nomini Patris, Fidii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, well, let's take a look here at what Archbishop Vigano has said. All right, here's the story on non Veni Pacem. Everybody's been texting me this today. Did you see this? Did you see this? Yes, I saw it. We're going to read it. Uh, this is from the blog of Aldo Maria Valli. And it's using Google Translate to bring it into English. As you know, Archbishop Vigano speaks Italian. I've actually asked him to come on Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast. He says, oh, my English is not. He said he's great. He's got an Italian accent, but his, his English is great. Let's all hope he comes on. Uh, Your Excellency, Archbishop Vigano, I'd love to interview and talk about this. Hopefully we can talk. Okay, here we go. Recently. A memorandum was shot among members of the Sacred College of Cardinals, signed by the pseudonym Demos, which, by the way, means people in Greek like democracy, which lists the disasters caused at every level, doctrinal, pastoral, managerial, economic, legislative, by the pontificate of Bergoglio. Better late than never, commented some, while others said, it is useless to close the barn when the oxen have already escaped. What do you think of that memorandum? Do you think it was the work of a cardinal? Is it the symptom of a belated awareness? Now, he's asking a question here about a memorandum that went around two, three weeks ago. Uh, I was going to do a show and then other news happened and I didn't do it. Maybe we'll circle back and look at that memorandum. But this memorandum listed all the problems that have gone on during the pontificate of Francis Bergoglio. It's sort of a litany. And I remember reading them going, yep, check, yep, check, yep, check. It's basically almost like reading the the titles of podcasts that I've done over the past three years. Highlighting the problems, the confusion, and the chaos. Obviously, if you're watching my podcast, you're aware of that. You're either watching it because you want to hear what I, I'm going to say today or maybe you're watching it because you agree. There's a major problem in the Catholic Church right now of confusion. It has to do with Francis's deal with China and the Chinese bishops. It has to do with the Abu Dhabi document, which says God re, uh, wills the plurality of religions, which is absolutely false. It has to do with the Morris Letizia, which seems to grant absolution and Eucharist to people who are living in sexual relationships that are not their matrimonial spouse, valid sacramental matrimonial spouse. And then all the confusing tweet, airplane quotes and on and on, like you shouldn't be breeding like rabbits and 
Who am I to judge? Then there's all the economic things listed. You know, I, I get tired of even listing them, but, you know, like the London apartment pad condo situation. And then it was interesting to read this memorandum, which is written by someone, it seems like in the Vatican or maybe a cardinal. This, the interviewer here asked Archbishop Vigano, was it a cardinal? And he doesn't really answer that question. But someone on the inside is keeping track, keeping tally. And there's a general discouragement at ground zero in the Vatican. Francis has unraveled Catholic identity, Catholic orthodoxy, Catholic, I don't want to say pride because pride is a sin, but, you know, esteem, esteem, Catholic esteem for the church, for her morality, for her cardinals and her bishops. Instead, as the memorandum list, we have sexual scandals and Francis appointing men who have known sexual scandals. So, now we look at the answer by Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. The memorandum lists the horrors of the Bergoglian pontificate. Scare quotes right there. And I've said before, it seems that Archbishop Vigano, when he speaks of Francis, he uses often the term Bergoglio, which not, is not necessarily meaning that he's invalid. Europeans, especially Italians, refer to popes by last name. If you look at the facade of St. Peter's Basilica, the pope has his last name up there. I can't remember which one it is right now, but it's Borghese. Borghesius is the Latin last name. So you notice this often in Vigano. Now we're getting it more explicit, the Bergoglian pontificate, scare quotes. And this certainly is already progress compared to magnifying it. But the horrors and the errors of the Argentine and his court did not appear out of nowhere, as if the previous pontificates, as if in the previous pontificates, everything was perfect and wonderful. The crisis begins with Vatican II. I'm going to stop there. The crisis begins with Vatican II. Now, I'm sympathetic with that view. I also believe that Vatican II was a big problem. There are weaponized ambiguities in Vatican II. And yes, I think there's error. And I know people are going to throw tomatoes at me. But that's why you watch this podcast. Because I speak my mind, I'm not afraid. I tell you what I really think. That being said, I don't think the problems all begin at Vatican II. I'm a convert to Catholicism. I came into the Catholic Church in 2006. Before that, I was an Episcopalian priest, a clergyman. As I came into the Catholic Church, and I worked for the church, with the church, in Washington, D.C. from 2006 to 2007, I began to see a lot of filth, a lot of rot on the inside. This scared me. I'd just become a Catholic. And I'm living and working under the shadow in D.C. of Archbishop McCarrick. I met Archbishop McCarrick as soon as I became a Catholic. I was probably a Catholic less than two or three months 
before I was taken into the office of Archbishop Cardinal McCarrick. Shook his hand, met him. But it didn't take me more than nine months of being in D.C. to realize something is rotten in the state of the District of Washington and the Catholic Church. Bad news. And that shadow, that bad taste has stayed with me all these years. And so in 2016, when I was tired of making a defense for Pope Francis, I started speaking out. Especially Amoris Laetitia was really the last straw for me. Since then, it's gotten even worse. That's why I started working on the book, Infiltration. I thought, as I worked on the book, Infiltration, all roads would lead to Vatican II. And let me tell you, they do. But there is an um, on-ramp to Vatican II. Modernism. Infiltration. Freemasonry. Yes, conspiracy. Everybody used to laugh. Oh, conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah, we all have lived now through COVID. <laughs> the McCarrick stuff. We know. We know. Big movers make big plans and they are played out. They're planned early and played out later, and it takes time. And there are these powerful forces in religion and in politics and in economics and in medicine. But before the 50s, before the 40s, before the 30s, my thesis, of course, everything goes back to the infiltration of Satan before time. The infiltration of Judas during the ministry of Christ, it's always been part of reality, created reality. But especially our current crisis, the infiltration began in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s. That's my argument. A lot of people come after me about what I say about John Paul II or what I say about Vatican II. Eh, lots of people say that. Come after me about the big claim. 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, 1870s. The argument is the infiltration is over 100 years old. That's what I'm telling you right now. You can say you're crazy, Marshall. Jump off a cliff. But I believe that's the honest truth. That's God's truth. Archbishop Vigano goes on to say, right here. He says, the crisis begins with Vatican II. Deploring the symptoms of an illness without understanding its cause is a useless and harmful operation. If the College of Cardinals is not persuaded that it is necessary to return to what the church believed, taught, and celebrated until Pius XII, any opposition to the current regime will be doomed to certain failure. This is interesting. A couple of things here. He says right now with, with Bergoglio, the pontificate of Bergoglio, we have symptoms of the illness. In other words, he's saying if just getting rid of Francis isn't going, it's a symptom. It's not going to get to the cause of the problem. He says understanding its causes is a useless and harmful operation. I'm a little confused by that, and I think it's probably an English, Italian to English mistake done in the translation. But I, I sense what Vigano is saying here is dealing with the symptoms 
is not going to cure the disease. We have a disease. The gates of hell will never prevail over the church. The magisterium of the church will never fail. But can there be infiltration into the bishops, into the cardinals? Can there be anti-popes? Can there be confusion about the papacy? Yes, go check out, go read about Anacletus II. Anacletus II was in Rome for eight years. Everybody recognized him as the Pope. Most of the cardinals said he was the Pope. Guess what? He wasn't the Pope. He was an anti-Pope. He was deposed. He was shown to be fake for eight years. He was in Rome at St. Peter, St. John Lateran, monarchs writing him letters for eight years, Anacletus II, and he wasn't the real Pope. That happens in church history. And everyone today says, well, that could never happen today. Why not? You think we're holier, more illuminated today? No. People sit around watching CNN and on their phones being told what to think. We have the most spiritually illiterate at least in America and in the Europe, the most spiritually illiterate crop of Catholics since the time of the apostles. People who could not name the Ten Commandments, the precepts of the church, people who can't say the Hail Mary. You know, it's surprising if you go to men's retreats. You know, I'm always saying, pray the rosary, pray the rosary. One time I was given a, a men's retreat. It was on St. Joseph. And I think at some point I said, why don't we break and we'll say the rosary together? And one of the organizers came to me and said, um, we might need you to just do a talk on, on how to pray that because I think most of the men here don't, wouldn't know how to pray the rosary. Which is fine, let's teach the men how to pray the rosary. But that just kind of shows where we are in our time period here. Where when you get a group of Catholic men together, these are not negligent Catholics. These are men who are spending their Saturday going to a spiritual retreat on St. Joseph. In other words, they're, they're in it to win it. They want to learn about Joseph, but yet we live in a time after Vatican II where I don't know what percentage of those men would not know how to pray a rosary. It's really not a judgment on them. It's a judgment on the leadership. Why is it that young men grew up and didn't pray a rosary or just thought their grandma didn't don't know how to do it? So Vigano is saying here, we can't just go after the symptoms. We have to go into the root causes. And what are the root causes? The root causes, like I talked about yesterday, in the 1960s, it was explicit. It was out loud. It was preached in the church that... Catholicism is just sort of the best religion, religio, uh, religious option out there. Whereas for the previous 1900 years, it was always Catholicism is the only true religion on earth. And when you talk about Christianity, the only 100% pure doctrine and morality pertaining to Christianity, the only 100% real deal is the Catholic faith in the Catholic Church. That is Catholicism. Not let's 
hold hands, kumbaya, and dialogue. Show me that in the New Testament. Show me that before 1900. You won't. You won't. All right, let's keep going. Oh, one more thing. This part right here. This is something that I agree with, with Archbishop Vigano. What the church believed, taught, and celebrated until Pius XII. Let's be really honest here. Pius XII, who died in 1958, and then the next papacy, Pope John XXIII, and then Paul VI, and then John Paul I, and John Paul II, Ben XVI, Francis. That's what we got. Do, 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 do. Let's be real honest here. In 1958, when Pius XII died, and by the way, I go through the final years of Pius XII in infiltration. People are like, why is he always talking about his book? Because you guys need to know this, and it's all in there. Real easy, accessible. Pius XII died in 1958. When the John XXIII came in in 1958, things changed. Our set of Acontis friends out there will say, aha, you're right, Taylor Marshall. That's because after 1958, there were no more valid popes. Something happened in the 1958 conclave. And what we got after that was something different, something devalued, something fake. Anti-popes. That's what your Sedeve Contest friends will tell you. That Pope Pius XII, when he died in 1958, we fell into a papal parenthesis. Is that true? I'm open to being it true. I have to be honest. I got to be honest with y'all right now on camera. Clearly, the pontificate since 1958, since Pius XII, as Vigano is saying, went in a different direction. I'm not, the, I'm not the only person saying this. Bishop Barron says that. He talks about uh, pre-conciliar and post-conciliar Catholicism all the time. Go watch Bishop Barron's channel. He'll say, well, in pre-conciliar Catholicism, people believe this. We taught that. But in post-conciliar Catholicism, we now do this. We now talk like this. We now think and believe this. In pre-conciliar Catholicism, no one could touch the Eucharist except for a priest. But in post-conciliar Catholicism, everybody can. In pre-conciliar Catholicism, you could never eat meat on Friday unless a day of precept fell upon it. But in post-conciliar Catholicism, you can. And on and on and on. Annulments, divorce, dialogue... In pre-conciliar Catholicism, you couldn't pray with non-Christians or even heretic Christians. You couldn't pray with Jews or Muslims or even Lutherans before the council. You could not have communicatio in Socrates. You could not attend their services. No way. You couldn't go to an Anglican church and participate in pre-conciliar. But in post-conciliar Catholicism... You see popes going to synagogues and into mosques, praying. You see bishops, your local bishops, 
encouraging people to go to ecumenical prayer services at the local Lutheran church or Methodist church. They invite, one of the things about Archbishop Lefebvre that he said that killed him is they wouldn't let him say the traditional Latin mass in this beautiful cathedral. I think it was in England. Catholic cathedral. And yet the same cathedral allowed Methodists, Protestants, material heretics, don't believe in apostolic succession of the priesthood, have ordination rights in the same cathedral. So Archbishop Lefebvre, Archbishop Lefebvre couldn't say the true mass of Jesus Christ that he was ordained to say in a Catholic cathedral, but Methodists could have ordination rituals in a Catholic cathedral? So, yeah, you can run up on me and call me all kinds of names and say, I'm, but look, let's be honest, just like Bishop Barron's honest. After 1958, they stirred the pot. And it was different. It was different. We all know. And so I actually appreciate, this is interesting. Sereve Contis all the time will bring out 1958, 1958, 1958. Pius XII, end of Pius XII, right? But you don't really hear that so much in the recognized resist milieu that I live in, right? You, when you're amongst Fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ the King, uh, Society of St. Pius X. You don't hear that as much. Really, I mean, in our Recognize and Resist, we mainly talk about Francis. You don't hear so much about Pius XII, 1958. I think because people are afraid of the set of a contest. Question, commentary. And by the way, even if you talk about these things, I guarantee you, Within hours of me making this video, there's going to be all kinds of people taking clips, manipulating what I say, and trying to attack me for being honest with you guys. So I think we need to talk more about that, especially when, as we come up on Holy Week. You know, there's a lot of us who believe that the Holy Week that was issued in 1955 by Pius XII, sponsoring... Annabelle Bugnini, a pity. I explain why I think that happened in infiltration. I believe in 1955, especially 56, 57, 58, Pius XII was very ill. He was having his stomach pumped regularly. Um, he stopped participating in public liturgies. He was clearly in decline. The fact that he was having all these stomach problems and having his stomach pump, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to be too much of a conspiracy theorist. Was he being poisoned? Was he just sick? What was going on? But anyway, we see decline in Pius XII after 19, in 55 and all the way into 58. But you know, in Holy Week, he put out the new Holy Week. The Holy Week is Proto Novus Ordo, Anamabugnini. If you do the 1962 Holy Week, you might as well invite Anamabugnini because he's there. And there's all kinds of things that are introducing the idea of the Novus Ordo, like the vernacular, prayers facing the people, prayers in the chair, blessing the baptismal water in front of the people instead of at the font. I could go on. And I think the Holy Week discussion amongst the Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute of Christ the King and not as much in the Society of St. Pius X. It's kind of interesting. They're, they're locked in on the 1962, sadly. 
But as the conversation turns to liturgy, like, should we be doing the Holy Week, the most ancient liturgy of the Roman Rite, as it was done for over a millennium? Or should we be doing this weird liturgy that was that was curated by Annabelle Bugnini and was only used from like 1955 to 1960, what? I don't know, nine, 70. All right, let's keep going. Within the College of Cardinals, in your opinion, this is asked of Vigano, is there a credible authentically Catholic figure on which the Cardinals in the event of a conclave didn't answer, didn't respond Malta and, and just really disgraced and dishonored Cardinal Burke. And I got to just say, you know, that that's a pity. And I don't know, you know, maybe Cardinal Burke just said, you know what? I tried, I did my job. And I got slammed for it, but I did my job and that's that. Maybe he, he just stopped. But then when Cardinal Burke got COVID, I was I prayed and prayed for Cardinal Burke. I've met Cardinal Burke. I love Cardinal Burke. Love Cardinal Burke. When he was sick, I was so anxious. I know I'm doing, Jesus says, don't be anxious, but I was anxious. I said, we can't lose Cardinal Burke. We need Cardinal Burke. He could be the Cardinal game changer. We need Cardinal Burke. And I was praying and I was telling y'all to pray. I woke up one night around 2 or 3 a.m. And I just had this premonition. Oh, no, Cardinal Burke is in a bad way. And I just got on my knees and I was praying. I was praying rosaries for Cardinal Burke. And then we heard Cardinal Burke is getting better. And I was like, thanks be to God. We still got him. And then I thought, man, wouldn't it be lovely? If, because he was close to death. I mean, some of... At a certain point, the messages coming from his family and those around him was kind of like, sounded fearful. So, I mean, he went right up to the, to the gates of death. I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if he comes back, like, you know, Gandalf the Gray turned into Gandalf the White. He comes back like Gandalf the White, like, let's ready, let's do some battle. You know, like when they're, I think it's at Helm's Deep. That Helm's Deep was like, now for wrath, now for a red dawn or something like that. And they're just like, let's do this. Put on their helmets, run out the bridge, start whacking orcs. This is great. That's kind of how I feel like now. And then they look up and there's this white aura and Gandalf's there and he's white and he's magnificent. And they pour in and they defeat the orcs. It's awesome. Well, I was kind of, you know me, I was kind of getting all... Tolkien geeked out. I was thinking that's going to happen. Cardinal Burke's going to come back and he's going to roar like a lion. He's going to make Aslan back. Gandalf the White. Here we are. Nothing's happened. I'm not faulting Cardinal Burke. Cardinal Burke is on. I'm just a layman. I don't have any insight. He's got way more than me. That's kind of what I, I thought was going to shake out. That was my private happy place didn't happen maybe it will happen but this question given to archbishop vigano is basically i think a question about cardinal burke or cardinal i mean who people would say cardinal sarah but cardinal sarah we have seen when it comes to the latin mass in vatican ii is basically on board 
The only one I think who would come close to this would would be Cardinal Burke. Maybe I'm wrong. So what does Archbishop Vigano say? He says, certain popes, let us forget, are granted, others are inflicted. Think about that. But before discussing the next conclave, it is necessary to shed light on the abdication of Benedict XVI and the question of the frauds, plural, of the 2013 conclave, which sooner or later will have to give, give rise to an official investigation. And this is the reason we're having a video today. The person asks him, who's the cardinal who's going to change things in the next conclave? And Vigano says, hold up, hold up. We're not talking about the next conclave till we talk about the last conclave. We need an official investigation on the abdication of Benedict. Was it valid or invalid? Did he resign the moonus of the papacy? Yes or no? It's a binary question, yes or no. If the answer is no, he did not renounce the Munis, he's still the Pope right now. Secondly, Archbishop Vigano says, we got to look into the 2013 conclave because according to Vigano, there are frauds. I've done many videos and I've talked about it in writing and infiltration the St. Gallen Mafia, the polling for votes, Cardinal ex-Cardinal McCarrick at Villanova talked about the distinguished Italian gentleman who came to him to assist in electing Jorge Bergoglio from Argentina to the papacy with the idea that within five years they could establish the agenda of the Sunk on Mafia. What's the Sunk on Mafia's agenda? Women's ordination. Perhaps also married ordination. And laxity on all moral issues, which has to do with LGBT, the A word, unnatural marriage, and with the LB LGBT, the T is becoming increasingly tolerated and celebrated amongst the James Martin Jesuit crowd. And a reminder, Bergoglio Francis is a Jesuit. Just this afternoon after lunch, my wife Joy and I were talking and she said she was talking to our twin daughters. They're 18. Uh, they were, were talking about the church and talking about the Pope. And my wife said, I told the twins, the 18 year olds, you know, Francis just, he went to seminary in Argentina with Jesuits. Who knows what books they were reading? My wife was like, they're probably reading Protestant books. I said, Honey, they weren't reading Protestant books. They were reading political books. This is like Avita level stuff. There's a reason why the Germans wanted Jorge Bergoglio, who studied in Germany, by the way. 
That's not my next book, but it could be my next book. Next, uh, Vigano says, right here, if there were to be proofs of irregularity, the conclave would be null, the election of Bergoglio null, just as all his appointments, acts of government, and magisterium would be null. Think about that for a second. If Benedict is still the Pope, or if the 2013 conclave is irregular, invalid, that means every single document, every encyclical constitution, everything that Francis has done is invalid and null. Every saint canonized by Bergoglio would be null. And every appointment and acts of government would be null, including the appointment of bishops. It would not make those bishops de facto invalid, but their appointment to have jurisdiction would be. This would be a great earthquake within the Catholic Church if this were to be the case. Has it happened before? Yes. Have there been anti-popes before who have made uh, written documents and act and acts of government and appointments pretending to be Pope that weren't really Pope? Yes, it's happened, what? There's like, what, 40 anti-popes in the history of the Catholic Church? An average of something like four or five per century? Well, Taylor, that would never happen because the gates of hell will not prevail. Look, the, the gates of hell will never prevail the church. That doesn't mean there can't be anti-popes. There's already been so many. An average of what? Four per century? And you're saying we're not due for one? It can happen. It can happen. And we're living in a, in a world of conspiracy and intrigue and billionaires and tech warfare. Archbishop Vigano then says, a reset that would providentially bring us back to the status quo ante with the College of Cardinals composed only of cardinals appointed up to Bennett XVI, ousting all those cardinals since 2013, notoriously ultra-progressive. Whoa! So Archbishop Vigano is saying, look, every cardinal that's been appointed by Francis would be de facto, they'd have to give up their red hat. They're not cardinals. And a new conclave using only the old cardinals, B16 and before, would be able to act in conclave, according to Archbishop Vigano. Then he says, certainly the current situation with all the rumors about Ratzinger's resignation and Bergoglio's election does not help the ecclesial body and creates confusion and disorientation in the faithful. You can say that again. You can say that again. It's not just traditionalists or rad trads or Taylor Marshallites. There are people in the Novus Ordo all over. I hear from them. They talk to me. Well, do you think, you think Benedict's still the Pope? I think Benedict's still the Pope. I've even heard people who are not even Latin masters, who don't think there is a, it's like they're set a contest and they go to the Novus Ordo. It's the weirdest thing. People have watched Francis promote idolatry, confusion, sexual, uh, or 
approve of or tolerate sexual abuse. And they're like, how can a man who is the vicar of Christ promulgate heresy and promote idolatry inside of a Catholic church? How is that possible? And then people like me have to read hundreds of pages of Cardinal Bellarmine, St. Robert Bellarmine, and try to figure this out. Can a pope be a heretic? Private heretic, material heretic, formal heretic, manifest heretic? The general consensus of theologians and saints, like Cardinal Newman and St. Bellarmine, is when a pope is a manifest heretic, he de facto immediately loses the papacy. That's not Taylor Marshall giving an opinion. I'm just telling you what Cardinal Newman and Robert Bellarmine teach. That's their teaching. And there's others as well. We lay people who love Jesus, we love the Trinity, we love the Blessed Mother, and we love the papacy. I love the papacy. I wrote a book on the papacy. Love the papacy. We look at the pontificate of Francis Bergoglio and we think, how is this the binding and loosing of the keys given by Jesus Christ, our Lord, Messiah, King, to Peter? How? Back to Vigano. By the way, I don't know the answer to that. It's a rhetorical question. I don't know. Last section. Here too, Catholics can implore the divine majesty to spare further humiliations to his church by granting her a good pope. If there is a cardinal who really wants a change of register, that he comes forward and that for the sake of the love of God, stop referring to Vatican II and think about the sanctification of the clergy and faithful, end quote. Whoa. So here's a challenge right here. If there is a cardinal who really wants a change of register, he's making, in a way, a desperate plea. I mean, Archbishop Vigano was an archbishop. He was a papal nuncio to Washington, D.C., but he's not a cardinal. And in the Catholic Church, a cardinal, that means you are incarnated as a cleric of Rome, which entitles you to vote for the Pope. It gives you all kinds of canonical privileges as well. We need a cardinal, Vigano says, who will come forward he says, for the sake of the love of God, stop referring to Vatican II and think about the sanctification of clergy and the faithful. The reason there's a Catholic church is not so that there's a Vatican museum and a tourist spot in Italy. The purpose of the Catholic church is the salvation of souls. Why did Jesus come to save souls? to reconcile sinners to God, to be our high priest, to give us the gifts, the sacraments, the devotions to 
sanctify our wills, our minds, so that we can correspond and cooperate with the grace and love of God. It's a challenge. It's hard. We're in Lent right now. It's hard. But he gives us grace in this struggle. And those who cooperate with charity and hope and faith will go to heaven and be with God forever. And those who choose not to will go to hell forever. That's the message. The whole purpose of the Catholic Church and the beautiful tabernacle and the beautiful altar and the cathedrals and the and the beautiful vestments and the cardinals wearing their their watered silk red robes and all the whole point of this is the salvation of souls. It's all ridiculous if there's no salvation of souls. It's a joke. It's a parody. If salvation of souls, and I'll add to that the glorification and worship, adoration of Almighty God, which is the chief act of the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass. I mean, we're saved so that we worship. God seeks worshipers, Christ says, who shall worship him in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus says. That's the whole point of this. So if you're a cardinal, a bishop, a priest, Duty calls. Duty calls. Called to duty. You wear red. You wear watered scarlet silk as a sign of your willingness to shed every drop of your blood for Jesus and for his church, the bride. It's not so that you look cute at a dinner party or at a banquet. It's a sign of blood and martyrdom. Courage, fortitude, and strength. Vigano saying, come forward. Unless, of course, you think Archbishop Vigano has become the crazy uncle. <laughs> There's a lot of people. I've watched them. I'm not there. I've seen Archbishop Vigano address and write some things that make me scratch my head. But I still think he is a prophetic voice. And I think this statement here is on point. There is confusion about why there's two popes wearing white cassocks. And they both call Papa. One's Papa Emeritus. One's Papa. Is this Benedict wear a papal ring? Does he give apostolic blessings? He seems to. We've never had a Pope Emeritus before. Can we please have some clarifications on this and it not be Archbishop Ganswein who gives us confusing info that makes things worse? Can we have a real investigation with some real statements? All right, that's a wrap. Thanks for watching today. Oh, I forgot to mention, today is the feast day traditionally of St. Vincent Ferrer. He's a Dominican. What's interesting about him is for a good time of his life, he was a, a, a miracle worker. He was a preacher who converted thousands of people, and he was a miracle worker. I think he even raised someone from the dead. This is how holy St. Vincent Ferrer was. St. Vincent Ferrer, for many years, during this time, this was the Western schism, there were two men contesting to be popes. At one point, there were three men contesting to be popes. There weren't three popes, and there weren't two popes. There's always one pope. And then an anti-pope or a pope and two anti-popes. You can't have multiple popes on earth. 
But for a time, St. Vincent Ferrer was following what turned out to be the antipope and defending him. And what does this teach us? It teaches us that someone can be a canonized saint, St. Vincent Ferrer. He can be a miracle worker, St. Vincent Ferrer. He can be one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time, St. Vincent Ferrer, and follow an antipope. What does that teach you? It teaches you to take a deep breath. Because when you die, I might be wrong on this, but this is my lesson from it. You're going to be judged on, did you commit mortal sins and did you repent of mortal sins and get absolution from a priest? Did you love God with your heart and love your neighbor? Did you believe Jesus Christ and everything taught by his bride, the church? Did you do the things in Matthew 25? Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, etc. Did you obey the commandments out of love for Jesus Christ? Maybe I'm wrong. But, and it's true, St. Vincent Frere in the later in his life came over to the true Pope. But I think that shows that God was operating with sanctifying and actual grace in the life of St. Vincent Frere, even when he was wrong on the papacy. And this is why I don't get out on the internet and throw bricks at other Catholics or other trads. I don't throw bricks at the Sedeve Contis or the SSPX or the FSSP or the Institute of Christ the King. Do I make observations and say, I think they should do it this way? Yes. But I'm not out here throwing accusations of mortal sin or schism against any of these people because we live in a confusing time. This is why I honestly say unite the clans. I've met Sedeve contists who believe every jot and tittle of the Catholic Church and who are kind, charitable, pleasant, good people. I believe they're disciples of Jesus Christ. You might throw a brick at me for saying that. Same with the SSPX, those people. Same with the FSSP. Same with, I've met and spoken with charitable, good, loving priests of the CMRI. St. Gertrude's instituted Christ the King. I know there are deep issues there. But we live in a very confusing time. Nowhere is it written in the New Testament. There's no epistle from St. Paul on what to do when there is complete chaos at the top. Yes, I know Paul and Galatians did rebuke Peter to his face. So there's a little bit of hint of that there. But there is no game plan. In fact, there isn't even a clear teaching. It's a contested teaching on the topic of a heretical pope. When Robert Bellarmine gives the most thorough treatment of it, he goes through five opinions. It's a tough issue. That's why we all need to be calm and we need to be peaceful and we need to be charitable. And we need to look at someone like St. Vincent Ferrer, today's saint, and say, you know what? God was evangelizing and converting people's heart through the word of St. Vincent Ferrer when he was serving the wrong pope, an anti-pope. He was working miracles when he was under the wrong man. God looks at the heart. God looks at the virtue of faith, hope, and charity. God looks at the will, and he operates there. That's in the Gospels. It's true.
All right, let's pray a Hail Mary together. Oremus, nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or nobis peccatoribus, nunc et or mortis nostre. Amen. Let's say a, a glory be to praise God for all the goodness we have, all the gifts. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicoterat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thank you for your charity towards me, your kindness, your prayers, your encouragement. I appreciate that. I want to challenge all of us to move towards a more kind understanding towards one another as baptized Catholics who love the true faith and uh, want to get to heaven. That's our goal, and we need to help each other. And until next time, oh, make sure you like this video, share it on Facebook and Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed, go ahead in the bottom right corner or underneath it, hit subscribe and hit the bell to be notified. And until, oh, pray the rosary every day or you're not on the team. And until next time, remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. St. Vincent Ferrer, pray for us.